You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. We are in week two again of our summer seven series. And during these next few weeks, we already had one under your belt, two today and five to come. That makes seven. Yes. Okay. Just making sure we're out of, you know, school's done for the summer. So math might be a little difficult. Uh, Five more to come after this. And we're taking one of the probably seven most misused, misquoted and misinterpreted verses in the Bible. And we're taking a deeper look at them and, and looking into the context about how and why these are misused, but not only that, the truth behind these verses. Right, last week we talked about Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, which I know you all have memorized. So I won't ask you to say it in, you know, because it would be weird, right? But I know you know it says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That was the verse we talked about last week, and we like to use this verse to make ourselves feel better when church or groups is smaller. We do. And we look around and we're like, hey, well, at least there's two or three. There's gathered. This is church. It makes us feel better when the attendance doesn't. We get too wrapped up in that. And and we, we misuse and we misinterpret, misquote those verses. And you know who's mostly at fault? For most of these verses being misused? It's not worldly people. It's Christian people. The responsibility is ours to know what Jesus was talking about and beyond what he was talking about into the rest of this book. See, God's presence is not dependent on our attendance. So recap a little bit from last week. God's presence is not dependent on our attendance. We'd like to think so, but that's very narcissistic and not biblical. Because again, in Genesis, before all of creation, before people, before you and me, was there God? Yes. God's presence is not dependent on our attendance. And the whole point of that verse is Jesus was saying to involve him in the conflict. Because the rest of the setup of that is Jesus laying out how to handle conflict between you. And if, there's, if it's one-on-one, deal with that one-on-one. If you need a witness, bring a witness. If the witness isn't enough, bring it before the church and the elders. If that's not enough, then put them at a distance. And last week, I've got to share this. I saw a couple in our church. I'm going to name names. I'm going to point them out. I saw a couple in our church mention, uh, turn to each other when I said, you know, when you're having an argument, what if you stopped and prayed in that argument? Like right there, in that moment, in the conflict. And I saw a couple look at each other and like make a pact and shake their hands. And I got to say, 52 weeks, Sundays a year, I preach probably 48 of them. And probably 46 of them, I'm wondering if anybody even heard. Anybody cared? Are they applying it? And I got to highlight this because you, the tiny little moment, Man, it made my week as a pastor. It made my week. I'm still celebrating it because it's like someone is not only listening but applying. That's what James says. Don't be hearers of the word but doers also. Not only did I see that happen, I don't know if you got a chance to put that into practice, but I did. <laughs> and it was a lesson because... I mean, I'm right here along in the journey with y'all. I'm not up here because I'm perfect. Again, I'm up here because I know my purpose. And I'm walking with you in this journey of faith and life, putting into practice what God's word is revealing to me also. So that made my week. I just want to highlight that. I don't know if you got a chance to use it, but I did. And it mattered. It mattered. Today... We're talking about a new verse. Repeat after me. Say, I can't. I can't. I can't. These aren't fun words, right? Because we like to think that I can. And the world likes to tell you that you can. 
And shoe companies will tell you to get out there and just do it because you can. Whatever you set your mind to, you can accomplish. The world tells you this lie. I'm going to begin with a tough truth. And that tough truth is called, you can't. This is already off to a great start, right? It's going to be a great message. I want to say you can't. I want to start with uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And this, this is not our verse of the day. This is going to set up our verse of the day. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. No one is exempt from the judgment of Jesus Christ. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Whether you're you're busy or not, something's going to come out of left field. Be ready to answer that question. Be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to talk about Jesus. Be ready in season and out of season. It says, reprove. You know what reproof is? It's correction. Be willing to correct each other. Rebuke. You know what rebuking is? Get away from me. Get away from me. Either the enemy or people who, as Paul writes later, are preaching an alternate gospel to this. Get away. And exhort. What is exhortation? Encourage. Lift up. Champion. Highlight. Exhort. With complete patience and teaching. For the time, this is important. Verse 3. For the time is coming. And if, to add parentheses here, you might even want to almost think, and is now come. (laughs) The time is coming and is now here almost. When people will not endure sound teaching. You think? But having itching ears, they like to hear what they like to hear, and they want to hear more of what they like to hear, and if they don't like to hear it, you just walk away. You just turn it off. You just change your membership to another church. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth, Wander off into myths. Do you think this is true today? Yeah, right? This is happening around us. We have to be careful. We've got to be ready to teach because there is the, the word of faith movement. The new apostolic reformation, new age religion. These things are happening in, in places that you would not know is going on. Because the name attached to it is famous, like Bethel Church in Redding, California. You probably sing a lot of their songs or heard them on ZD.3. Because like every fifth song, they've swamped the Christian music market. Elevation. Be careful. Gateway. T.D. Jakes, Prosperity Gospel. You've got to pay attention. These are alternate doctrines. And that center around this name it and claim it idea. You've heard of this before? It's a lie. It's a lie. And it's name it and claim it because if you name it and claim it in the name of Jesus, it's yours. There are maybe two times in my whole life where God has come through for me in a way like that. Because God can. But wrapping my whole faith and belief system into the exception rather than the rule is dangerous, right? I mean, it's it's gambling. It's like going to the casino and putting everything you own on red 23. Because you're always going to roll red 23. Just name it and claim it, brother. Would you do that with all of your possessions? No, you'd be a fool. 
first of all, you'd be gambling. Second of all, it's not going to land on red 23. So why would you bet your whole faith and your, your doctrinal setup on something that God chooses to do when God chooses to do it? And there are people in churches being what Paul writes to call being drunk in the spirit. Rolling around on the floor and saying wackadoo stuff. Sprinkling gold dust and feathers from the ceiling. This is not made up. This is happening. Probably in churches as we speak. People are having a moment or an experience. But it's not with God. And this name it and claim it doctrine, you need to know, is is a lie. And some of it is built on the verse we're talking about today. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm going to read verse 13, and then we're going to go back a little bit. Highlight a little bit more. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. You've heard this verse, I hope, by this point. Even if you're a non-Christian, you've probably heard this verse. It's a widely known, widely accepted verse. It's also a widely misused and un- incorrectly known verse. I can do all things. Through Christ, or Him, who strengthens me. And this is one of those verses, and I say this word of faith, New Apostolic Reformation, comes out of just, I can, you can do anything through Christ. You can do whatever you want in Christ. You can pray for that big house. Pray for that new, new thing coming out. I, I took a screenshot and saved it, because I got a friend on Facebook. Just one. Got a friend on Facebook, and I'm gonna have to talk with him because he's he's gone down this path. He says God says this is a picture he posted. God says, "Stay patient. My timing is perfect. I have something bigger planned for you, and trust me, you're going to love it." What a load of hogwash! I wonder what Paul would have thought about that, or any of the disciples. Death is coming. You trust me. You, trust me. You're going to love being crucified upside down. <laughs> Bigger. Way better. You're going to love it. You're going to be loved being in a shop full of arrows or beheaded. God has something bigger for you. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians. Paul is writing this book. This is about the second to last, what we know as epistle or a letter. He's writing to these churches. He's writing from imprisonment in Rome near the end of his life. This is written around A.D. 62 to 65. Paul is killed most likely by beheading in around A.D. 67. A.D. 67. So a couple years later. And he's writing these letters to churches because he's stuck. All right? He's using the, the most viral YouTube method he had at the day, and that's writing down words and sending them to messengers so that they can take them to the church. And he's imprisoned in a house in Rome. It's the third or fourth time he's been in prison that we know of by this point, so he's kind of probably used to it. All right? and, he's, and he knows that this time is probably going to be a little bit different than others. He's in Rome. He's not in prison in Caesarea. Uh, he, he's not in prison in Jerusalem. He's in prison in Rome. And they're hating on Christians. Big time. And he's probably looking ahead at his own mortality. And he's writing some words here like, this may be the last letter I get to send to this church, to this people. And I want you to hear this. So let's now back up to verse 10. He said, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. I know that you've been praying for me, he says. I know that you've been been concerned about me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, this work is important, that in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, to be humbled, bless you, without, with, to, to, to be brought low, to, be, to have nothing, 
to be in prison, to be in dire situations. I know what it means to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Remember, Paul was formerly known as Saul before God changed his life. And Saul was a pretty well-off, well-educated, well-to-do, most likely wealthy guy. And in any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the all things that Paul is talking about here aren't all good things. In fact, most of them are all bad things. They're all hard things. They're all painful things. They're all challenging things. These are the things that Paul is writing about because you have to consider his context. Where is he coming from? What journey has God brought him on? This guy has been in prison. He's been beaten multiple times for the gospel. He's been shipwrecked twice. Like this is a dude who's, who's been through the ringer. And if this was your life, it'd be, I mean, you'd be posted on social media every day. Oh my gosh, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't believe what happened next. And you'd, you'd and wait, you know, and anticipating the little heart and care emojis that just flood your way. Of every cry that comes out, oh my gosh, this happened. Oh my gosh, this happened. As Paul suffers for the gospel. But is Paul saying he's suffering right now? No, go back to verse 10. I rejoiced. I'm happy. I'm good with a lot or with a little. In abundance or in need. I've learned the secret to being content. Now it's interesting because... He doesn't immediately identify that secret, does he? We have to search for it a little bit. So I've learned the secret. Great, what is it? Huh? The secret to that is stuffed and hidden in this verse, if we turn it around. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret to Paul's contentment is not that he can do all things. It's that he can't. That's the secret. I can't do all things. In fact, I'm a no good Christian killer in my former life, Paul would say. He can't, apart from Jesus, he can do what? Nothing. Turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 5. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He's like the gardener. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's gone. And I'm being thrown into the fire. And these are branches that do not bear fruit. The branch that does bear fruit, he what? He prunes. And we might say, well, Jesus, I feel like I've been bearing fruit for you. I've been serving. I've been leading. I've been giving. I've been showing hospitality. I've been praying. And I've been peacemaker. I've been, I feel like I've been bearing fruit. I baptized someone this year. Blah, blah, blah. And we go on. But every branch that does bear fruit, he what? He what? Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And you know what every branch that's pruned says? Yeah. Ouch. This does not feel good. What's up, God? I was doing things. I was in a good place. I was serving. Everything was hunky-dory. And then, boom, this. Ouch. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. And I think one of the things that makes, now going back to Philippians, so you don't have to turn there, one of the things that makes Philippians interesting in this context when Paul is writing that is that Paul has not been in prison once 
Not twice, but at least three times by this point. And every time Paul comes out of prison a little different. Every time we see Christ followers and the early disciples, and we'll read about this later in the book of Acts today, imprisoned or persecuted for the Lord, something happens. And it wasn't because they did anything, but because God did everything. See, by your and ourself, we can't do anything. And Jesus goes on here in John chapter 15. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Stay in me. Pray with me. Be in a relationship with me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I in the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do all things no things apart from me you can do nothing apart from me you can do nothing nothing Jesus really nothing but I've been a pretty successful businessman. I feel like I'm a great mom. I got that new job. I've been providing for my house. I got that raise. I ministered to more people. Served in this and this and this and this area. Gave away this much money in tithes and offerings. Nothing. Jesus, apart from you, I, I can't do nothing. All that amounts to nothing? Yes. But I have more people, more friends, more followers, more influence, a better title, a better status, a bigger house, a better car. All of that's nothing? Yes. Nothing. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing. And what that really means, because we have to consider the bigger context here, apart from Jesus, there is no walking on the waves. Think Peter, we're going there in a couple minutes. Apart from Jesus, there's no mountains moved. Apart from Jesus, there is no such thing as a miraculous healing. Apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. Apart from Jesus, there is no forgiveness. There is no eternity. Apart from Jesus, there is no purpose. There is no peace. Apart from Jesus, there is no truth. Apart from Jesus, there is no greater sacrifice. Apart from Jesus, there is no greater love. Apart from Jesus, there is no change. And apart from Jesus, there is no life. Nothing. Nothing. And we read in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, everything is meaningless. That's an uplifting verse. Meaningless, meaningless. And that's what he's writing about is that up with, without God, there's nothing. It's just stuff. It's just time. Wasted. Effort. Wasted. It's all for nothing. Without Christ. And apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Say that with me. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. You can do nothing. Hooray. And there again, like what Paul writes in Philippians, there's the secret is resting in the resolve that you can do nothing. Because what that means is that your dependence on Christ must then be everything. Because you can't do anything. You can't do anything. Throw with me the book of Acts. Let me bounce around a little bit. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be this first trip to Acts. 
Acts chapter 9. We're just going to be in verse 32 through 35. Acts 9, 32 through 35. And as Peter went here and there among them all, and this is the Peter, keep in mind, that tried to walk on the waves with Jesus, did for a little bit until he took his eyes off Jesus and then sank beneath the waves, right? And then here's Jesus helping Peter up out of the water and it's a great example of, could Peter walk on the waves by himself? No. But Jesus, pulling him up. Apart from, apart from Jesus, we don't even know if Peter could swim. <laughs> He's sinking. <laughs> I mean, rough seas and everything like that, not good. But here, here's Jesus. Apart, apart from Jesus, Peter would probably drown. Like where they're at in the waves, this is not a deep lake. Or sorry, this is not a shallow lake. This is a deep lake. And they were probably out there a bit. And he he probably would have drowned. But Jesus. So this is this Peter who then went on to deny Christ three times before the crucifixion. Wow, he's a real winner, this Peter guy. He's just like us. And when Jesus is resurrected, it's almost like the light bulb goes off in Peter's life. And it all clicks and it all makes sense. And Peter is a different dude. And his sermon that stirs the hearts of so many in Jerusalem on Pentecost brings thousands of people to the Lord. And if I read that sermon, it would take us like six minutes and we'd be done. That's a powerful message. I mean, if you told, told me I only had six minutes, I don't, just, good luck. There goes Peter. Now, did Peter do anything? No, apart from Jesus, he can do nothing. The Holy Spirit moved in that moment. And before that moment, they had tongues resting on them, remember? Cool. Anyway, so this is this Peter. As Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they what? And they turned to the Lord. What did Peter say in verse 34? He said, Aeneas, God has anointed me. And I have been ordained in the school of blah, 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 blah ministry. And I come to you today, I'm going to lay hands on your legs. And I've been anointed special person, a prophet. And I come to you, and I'm going to heal you today. We've seen it. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay you later. All right. <laughs> We've seen it. We'll talk later. Yeah? Not kidding. But that's not who I am, right? I'm not that guy. Peter was not that guy. Peter said what? Are you serious? Come on up. Come up, bro. This is happening in real time. Come up. I know you're not getting. This is church. Okay. for a month and you touched it and it stopped hurting, so. Okay, so it's not me. If God did anything, that's God. Thank you. Let's, can we praise Jesus for that? His shoulders stopped healing. That's, that's amazing. I mean, you're tearing up because you've been in pain. And it's gone. Gone right now. I've been praying for that for a 
You should have just hugged earlier. <laughs> Dude, I'm glad God has done that for you. That's amazing. Can we praise the Lord? I'm not going to run up and down the aisles touching people. All right? God, but God can do that. And that's the point that this illustrates in this passage. Jesus, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. Peter doesn't. And that's such an amazing thing because we live in a day and age where people and pastors and churches want to make their name great. It's not about us. It's about him. And Jesus Christ heals. Apart from him. Nothing. And God. God uses weak characters like Peter. We like to reference Peter and all of his downtrodden failure moments like it did earlier. But this is the Peter I want to remember. This is the Peter that's more important than sinking in the waves, is he not? Because he's, he's been on a journey and he's recognized that apart from Jesus, he can't do anything. He's learned to not take his eyes off of Jesus, to not doubt Jesus. To be faithful to Jesus. And God is in the habit of using what we would deem as weak characters to show his strength. David, a shepherd boy, youngest son, scrawny, ruddy looking is what the word actually says, ruddy looking. Who does God use to fight the giant? When he's got 40,000 Israelites spread out on a mountain dressed in their armor. He uses a boy. We, that we consider weak, that we consider not able. And King Saul at that time was like, hey, put on my armor. And David's like, this is stupid. I'm not used to wearing this. And he goes out there unarmored, but with God. And he has all the protection he needs. What about Joseph. Cast out another brother, sold into a pit of slavery. Spend time in prison, traded from house to house and owner to owner. Until God elevates him at his choosing, at his time. And says, now is the time for you to lead not only your family, but this nation of Egypt out of famine. Samuel, another boy before he anointed David, was, was basically handed over by his parents to the church out of a blessing. Because they just wanted a son. God gave him a son. They said, this son's going to honor God. So he served in the temple, and he's serving in the temple, and he hears this voice saying, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to the priest. Hey, did you call me? No, I didn't call you. Just this two more times. And the third time, the priest starts to wake up from his not only his sleep, but his ineptness. Because like what Paul's writing, be ready in season and out of season, in dark, in daytime, to see what's going on. And he says, you know what? I'm not calling you. You better listen to the Lord. And next time he calls you, you better say, Lord, it is I. I am here. And that's exactly what happens. Baby Jesus. Our triune God comes in the person. Both God and man, not half God, not half man, fully God and fully man to the person of Jesus Christ as a baby. The absolute sign of helplessness and weakness. But is there strength in that weakness? Yeah. Son of God. What about Samson? Hairless Samson. I resonate with that. Hairless version of Samson. Right? See, Samson's strength was in his hair. And because of Delilah, low-hanging fruit is what her name means, right? Um, and that's actually true. And so because of Delilah, he gets all his hair cut off and he gets captured by the Philistines. And he's... After being blinded and rolling a mill for grain around for a while, he gets invited into this party, and they're gonna they chain him to the poles, and they just they're gonna mock him and throw things at him, and rejoice over the Israelite champion that they have. And he prays to God, hairless, says, "God, give me strength one more time." 
And what happens? Hopefully we know the story. He brings the whole place down. Is Samson killed? Yes. But he takes out all the bad guys. And it proves that Samson's strength wasn't really in his hair. Right? Because he didn't have no hair. Daddy, you ain't got no hair. That's what my boys say to me. His strength wasn't really in his hair. His strength was a gift of God. That God gave him when he needed it and when he sought it. Abraham and Sarah advanced in years. Too old for kids. Way too old for IVF. And adoption, we all know, is way too expensive. And that's what, side note, that's what's crazy about today. It costs more now to adopt an already born, alive, and breathing child than it does to go medically and do the IVF, create a wonder miracle thing in a hospital medical facility. Think about that for a second. A kid who's already alive, already born, already breathing, just saying, hey, come into my home. We want to welcome you. We want to be a family to you. Costs more to welcome that child in an adoption than it does to like medically create one in a factory. Our orphan care ministry is going to be starting up, launching soon. More details on that about how you can get involved. But that should be a stir of our hearts because there are already born, already breathing kids and families who need support. Okay, we go on. Abraham and Sarah. Advanced in years. Do they end up having a child? Yes. The child's name is? Isaac. Thank you. Three of you. Okay. Um, (laughs) Child's name is Isaac. And that's a miracle, right? Because we would look at older, frailer Abraham and Sarah. You too old for kids. And and I love y'all, Paul and Franny Wolf, right? But let's take a second. Look at at Paul and Franny Wolf. Beautiful people. Married about what? Is it 46? No, you're coming up to... 59 years. That's right, coming up to 60. Next Wednesday, 60? 70, 59. Do I hear 49? 49 going once. Do I hear 49? 60 years next Wednesday, right? 59 next Wednesday. That's still incredible. Now, I love y'all, especially in the Lord, but if they came up to me and said, Josh, we've been thinking about having a child. I'd be like, come, come again? Like your own? But this is what God does. It blows our minds, and it's not something they could have done by themselves. Pick a disciple. Just pick a disciple. Weak characters used in the Bible. Yeah, pick all of them. <laughs> all of them. And it teaches us something that God... That God's strength is not found in what we would perceive to be strength or weakness. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul is writing here in his second letter to the church that we know of and still have. And, and he's, he's talking about this thorn in his side, which some argue could be a medical condition, Sometimes I think it could be guilt or remorse even from having killed as many Christians as he did. And, and a man especially like Stephen just stood there and watched him get stoned to death. I, I, the guilt or remorse of past things he's done are probably wrecking his soul. And he's probably, that might be one of the things. It could be a physical pain. We don't really know. But there's definitely a quote-unquote, as he calls it, thorn in his side. And Paul tells us that to say, hey, look, my life isn't perfect. Right? It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He goes on, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my strengths. If you're following along with me, you know that's the opposite of what it says. I will boast in my what? Weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And is it his strength? No. 
And that's the beauty of this equation is that all at best we have to offer God is our weakness. And he comes with the equation with strength and says, just like to Peter, I've got you. I've got you in the waves. Hold my hand and trust that I'm the one on top of the waves. See, he pulled Peter up on top of the water. Jesus didn't go down into the water. He pulled Peter up. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about physics and the properties of H2O, but that is what science would deem impossible. And that just shows you what power and what strength our God has. Paul is writing, says that his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in our weakness. And apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And Paul's contentment and the secret that Paul writes about later in Philippians is this, that he's learned to be content Again, with the resolve that he's, he can't do anything by himself. And part of my past and my journey, especially in ministry, was thinking like, I've got to do everything. And without me, this church won't succeed. And my past jobs, you know, if I didn't do this, our worship wasn't going to be what it was going to be. And our church wasn't going to be what it would be. And, 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 our, and the, I, I, you, you equate, it's very easy to, um, to, to put church growth and church numbers and butts in seats on Sunday mornings with your success or your strength. And over the past year and a half, God has continues to bring me to this place. I'm comfortable looking out at 34 adults. Or 340. To God be the glory. I don't care. Because what I'm going to do. As I'm going to be here on Sunday. I'm going to preach the word. I'm going to try my best to preach the truth. To a world that is deprived of it. And you can equate your success with your strength. Don't fall into that trap athletes successful athletes they work hard they train hard blah 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 they have success in NFL contracts and blah 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 I got a guy now who's batting better than Babe Ruth did and he doesn't even go to batting practice it's incredible and it's very easy to associate success with your strength but there's no weakness there There's no humility there. And we need to be weak and humble before God. What Paul says, I'm boasting in my weakness. For in him, strength and power is made perfect. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We have to be careful because about 150 years ago, there is a scientific approach brought out by a man named Charles Darwin. Now, I'm not here to talk about evolution or not. Not today. We've done that in the past. We'll do that another day. What I am here to talk about is that we've let this thought process of Darwinian logic permeate our culture and invade our Christianity. Because Darwinian, the Darwinian approach at its root settles on this concept of the survival of the fittest. And the strongest survive, the best adapt And we let, it's taught in our schools. It's modeled in business. Because you don't want to be weak in business, right? You want success. You want strength. You want a growing company. Bigger, better finances. Bigger, better things. Working televisions. 
You see, God's, and if you write one thing down on the back of that trifold, I encourage you to write this today. Aside from the scripture, hopefully, that you've done. The kingdom of God is not about survival of the fittest, but about the surrender of the weakest. The world's going to tell you you can survive, adapt, overcome. You can't. For apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And if we want to do anything, then it better involve who? (laughs) Yeah. If we want to do anything, it better involve Jesus. Before you do anything, do you do you talk to him about it? Do you, do you get up in the morning before your feet hit the ground and say, Jesus, I need you to help guide my day. I'm about to go to work on this Monday, July 12th. I need your help because I can't get through today without you. Is that where we're at? No. We, my friends, are too comfortable in our strength. We need to become accustomed to our weakness. See, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is not about us doing whatever we want to in the name of Christ. And sometimes we can use that verse and be like, I can do all things through Christ who thinks of me. I'll start this ministry. I'll go serve this thing. I'll go do this thing. I'll go do this thing. It's not about any of that. And apart from even the biblical use, and maybe even in a church or ministry setting, I can do all things. I can just go do all things. As long as I've got Christ in my back pocket. I go to church every once in a while. I said I believed the prayer when I was eight. I can do all things. Nope. You cannot do all things without Christ who strengthens you. And so this verse is not about us doing whatever we want to for Christ. This verse is about enduring whatever Christ wants for us. I'll say that again. This verse is not about us doing whatever we want to for Christ. This verse is about us enduring whatever Christ wants for us. Paul is enduring here. He is suffering. And in that suffering, he is rejoicing. Because he's content. Because he has Christ. He knows his weakness. And he needs Christ. Our final scripture today. Turn back with me to the book of Acts, chapter 12. I'm going to set up this story and then we're going to close. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And about that time, Herod the king, and this is not Caesar, this is Herod the kind of puppet king over the Judean province. Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. This is during a Jewish festival. He's going around arresting people. Like that's just the next level of wrong even to his own kind. And when he had seized him, he found Peter. He put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. At least 16 men are guarding one dude. It's a bad ratio for Peter, right? And delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, and they probably intended to wait after the Passover. And we know that time-wise now, this is about a year at the least after Jesus' crucifixion. Because we can follow that timeline back to the Passover with Jesus. And they probably didn't want to repeat. Like, because we, tr- we already tried to kill one guy on Passover. He rose from the dead. So let's wait Let's wait until after this next Passover to do any of the killing. Sound good? Okay. So, intending after the Passover to bring it out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him, this is important, was made by God 
made to God by the church. So the church is praying. So imagine Lance Williams. Lance Williams is taken out by the Melbourne Police Department and he's put into prison with four or 16 SWAT guys. All right? You need a lot. You're a fierce guy, man. I mean, look at that. You need SWAT, 16 SWAT guys. Yeah, just fight them off, man. <laughs> I'm seeing this a little bit too realistically in my brain, right? So they got Lance. Church, church, they got Lance. What are we going to do? Let's come around and pray. All right, so we have a prayer meeting for Lance. Let's pray, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray, 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 pray. Lots of pray. In fact, never-ending prayer meeting until we know what's going to go on with Lance and the SWAT team. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Hey, how you doing? Hey. I mean, I mean, right there. Bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. I'd say that pretty next level secure. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. Hey, wake up. And woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, dress yourself. Because he's probably in a loincloth, right? Dress yourself. And also put on your sandals. Like, stay in the cell. Get comfortable. Go ahead and get dressed. Your things are here. But there's guards. Yeah, I know. It's okay. Just get dressed. But there's more guards outside. Just put on your clothes, bro. Okay. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. Because the last time he checked, he's sleeping in chains between two guards in a cell with other guards outside that cell. Like, surely this is not real. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. And it opened for them out of its own accord. It's like the Star Trek swishy sound. I don't know what sound it made. Probably like, it's iron, right? Heavy. All right, so here goes the iron gate. And open. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, probably pinched himself like, I'm not dreaming. Oh my goodness, I'm not dreaming. I'm out of prison. What's the church doing during this time? They're praying. Okay. And Peter came to himself, and I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And he realized this. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Now, I believe in this case, this Mary, the mother of John, is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why? You remember what Jesus said on the cross to John? Behold, this is now your mom. Take care of her. So they're referenced as such. So he goes to Mama Jesus' house. Where many were gathered together and, and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she didn't even open the gate. But ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So we're sitting here in the church and we're praying. Lance comes and knocks on the door like, oh my gosh, it's Lance! And I just run back in the worship center. Lance is like, bro... Like, I'm out here. You, you, are you going to, seriously? You're going to let me in? All right? And they said to her, you're out of your mind. They said, you be speaking the crazy talk. We're praying here, okay? We are praying for Peter. He's in prison. No, he's at the door. No, you, no you're wrong. He can't, he's, he's in guard, he's guarded and guarding and guarded and guarded. And there's an iron gate and it, we're just, join us, just join us in praying for Peter. Okay, that's what you can do. You can stop having a, having a hallucination. No, he's at the door. Rhoda, Rhoda, we are praying for Peter. But she kept insisting that it was so and they kept saying, it's, it's you know what, maybe it's some guy who looks like Peter. Maybe it's like, well, Lance has a William, uh, has a brother, right? Maybe it's Luke. Maybe Luke's at the door, and, and we're, we don't have time to answer right now because, because we're praying. We are in a prayer meeting. It's his angel. Maybe it's someone who looks like him. 
Peter continued knocking. Lance, hello? Like, really? Peter continued knocking. When they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And Rhoda's like, see? Stop calling me crazy. I've been telling you. He's at the door. Touch him. Poke him. It's Peter. And they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent because they're about to freak out. They're still guards. I'm still Peter. I'm still supposed to be in prison right now. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. This ends up being very bad for the guards, FYI, who, who guarded him. That's not the point of the story. <laughs> the point is that this group of people, this church, was sitting there praying for the release of Peter. And their answered prayer was knocking at the door. Like literally knocking at the door. And they didn't want to stop whatever they were doing long enough to go see the answer to their prayer. We've been talking about that they can do all things through Christ who gives them strength. We've been talking about this verse, right? In Philippians. Now, if it was dependent on their own strength, they would have formed their own SWAT team and assaulted this prison, raised the iron gate, you know, gone with swords and shields to try to free to try, to try to free Peter, right? That's what they would have done if they were dependent on their own strength. But they were praying. And here comes Peter. The answer to their prayer. And they can't stop whatever they're doing long enough to recognize the answer. It's knocking in the door. And I want to set this up, not only to conclude what we're talking about today, but to set up what we're talking about next week. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You and I, apart from Jesus, can do nothing. And we are weak. And we need his strength. Because this group of people could not have assaulted this prison to get him out. To get Peter out. But they did the thing that they could do. And what was that? They prayed. Now, I'm not here to poke fun of that bunch of people not recognizing it was Peter, right? Because they were praying before that angel even showed up. And for all we know, that angel showed up because of their prayer. Think about that for a second. What if that bunch of people had not prayed? What if that bunch of people had not relied on Christ to be their strength and done the one thing that they could do? Maybe no angel for Peter. I don't know. It's a hypothetical. Don't waste too much time thinking about it. The important thing to think is that God, God is strength. And the answer to their prayer comes together in this miraculous experience. And Peter's set free to preach the gospel again. I don't know where you're at in your life today. If you thought that you could do it all, and you've maybe had a couple of life situations lately to take you to a place where you realize you can't do it all. But I think that's where God wants us to be. Is relying on His strength being made perfect in our weakness. And I want to close out today by giving you an opportunity to join us, to join me in a 40-day prayer journal. We looked online, and there's nothing that I liked or Brad liked, and... um, and then the ones that I did like were way too expensive. So I just wrote our own. True Life Church Prayer Journal. There are 40 in there. So we don't have enough for everybody. Might have to start off by sharing one to a family or one to a couple. And But I want to challenge you with this. The reason we have these is because of your faithfulness in giving. have money to do a little bit of ministry again. Right? This costs us about $200 to make these books up. And a lot more hours of my time. That's okay. Don't take one if you're not going to use it. Because accepting this prayer journal 
means that you are committing with me and this church to pray starting today as day one for the next 40 days. And we're going to talk about it on Sunday mornings. I encourage you to talk about it in your small groups, with your coworkers, with your friends, on our Facebook page. I believe that we need to come back to being a people called to prayer. And that's the focus of this next three months. It's to be a church called to prayer. We want you to grow in your prayer life. Hopefully there's enough prayer journals going around. I would love to have to order more. I mean, really, that'd be a good problem. Maybe, but the, I, in a weird way, I want even if you print it out yourself, like I want you taking this with you. And there's yeah, there's note sections for you to fill out about what what God is doing. We still have some. We're, we're okay. So whoever if whoever wants one, we we still got them. Um, but this is a forty days in prayer. And so first of all, I want to thank you for your generosity on that. Second of all, the timeline of this lands us. 40 days from now, finish on August 19th. This book finishes with a challenge to do a three-day fast with myself and the elders. To conclude on August 22nd. Because on August 22nd, we have a church business meeting. At that meeting, we as a church have to look over the last 6 to 12 months of our finances and determine whether or not we are re-signing this lease to stay here for another year. And your giving and support of this church, enabling lives to be changed, mission and ministry to, to, to happen here, we've been in the positive for February, March, April, and May. But I do know is that our track record gets real lean in the summer. Like real lean. We could have one or two bad months that offset any positive momentum we've had financially that we will have to weigh heavily in consideration and prayer about resigning another lease here. All right? I would love to stay here, right? That'd be nice. We'll see what's next. So anyway, 40 days of prayer. Three days of fast, and then a church business meeting. We need to be a people of prayer. Our world is broken. People in our church, our families, and our friends need Jesus. There are situations that though they aren't called Peter, they need to be released from prison. And you know what I'm talking about in your life. There's some things that just need to be released and let go and be made free or healed. You know what that is. So does God. I would love for you to join me on this journey and commit to 40 days of prayer together. And I do know one thing. That if our church does this, we will be a different church in 40 days. I know that. Because we're going to spend time with Jesus. What does Jesus do? He, he changes us. What is, what, we are transformed by the renewal of our mind. And when our mind is set on the Lord, we are transformed. And we need Jesus. For apart from him, we can do nothing. So let's do the thing that we can do. Let's pray. I want to close by reading the lyrics, and then we'll be done. No closing song, no nothing else, but I want to read you these lyrics. I was playing a hymn last night. Just reflecting on these these words. I grew up in a church with, you know, traditions and hymns, and some of that I still miss. I still love it. But it's got its time. I want to read you the words to this hymn by Chris Rice. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with you. 
you change not. Your compassions, they don't fail. As you have been, so you will be. I don't know, I'm changing the lyrics to make it a little bit more vernacular and a little less rhyming, but bear with me. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies and provision I see. And all I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, to me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. The sun, moon, and stars and their courses above. Join with all nature and unified witness to your great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. Your own dear presence to cheer and to guide and strength for today and hope for tomorrow. Blessings, all mine, with 10,000 others more. So great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, God. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, to me. Our God is faithful. His strength is perfect. And in our weakness, in our humility... does amazing things and apart from him church we can do nothing but through Christ we can do all things endure all things because from him comes our strength